Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Business of Design, episode 173. We're going to talk about telling stories. Our guest today is Julia Feldmeyer. She is a former Washington Post journalist, and she spent nearly two decades studying consumer behavior to help brands figure out what consumers actually want and to sort through those times when the consumer says they want one thing but actually wants another thing. Her breakthrough insights have shaped products, design, and marketing strategy for clients, including Capital One. MasterCard, Ford Motor Company, Land Rover, and more. She's been published as a journalist in the Washington Post, Seattle Times, Fast Company, Forbes, and Harvard Business Review, and featured on a global stage as well at the Cannes International Festival of Creativity and World Economic Forum. I asked Julia if she would be on the podcast. We have mutual friends uh, Bruce Philp has been on the show, and he's an incredibly smart guy. So I knew if he recommended Julia, we had to meet her. And what she sent back to me in terms of what she'd like to talk about is just so beautiful that I think I'll just read it to you in advance of the interview. Julia says, we talk a lot about storytelling these days. Everyone likes stories. There's something neat and innocent and promising about just that word alone, a story. It's something you can escape into. But there's a problem with today's storytelling. We focus a lot on the pretty and the package, the telling. That's where platforms like Instagram have taken us, and it's why you see couples posting photos of their selfie kisses, which signal that they're focused more on the story than on the moment that they're actually in. It's why influencers rent $15,000 a month penthouses to use as a backdrop for an idealized version of daily life. As a result, designers now have the challenge of not only unpacking who their clients are and how they really live, but also sussing out a person's authentic style and preferences, not simply what they think they're supposed to like based on what they see in their feed. She says she's read that Twitter is like a lobotomy. You read so many other people's thoughts, you begin to lose your own. And she imagines the overload of design inspiration has a similar effect on everyday design consumers. So we're going to talk about what people say versus what people do. Getting to the truth of clients' needs and wants. Julia says in her work with clients across industries, she sees an emphasis on storytelling, and that's been a problem because while we care a lot about storytelling, we've gotten a little sloppy with reporting, or simply put, we tend to take consumers' answers at face value, and we don't spend enough time observing. In order to get more truthful tips and information from our clients, Julia says we want to observe them in their natural setting. What does their house look like on a normal day, not the day they tidied up for you to come by? What are they doing? What's the tone of the house? What are the sensory inputs? Is there music? Is there dancing? Is there play? Or is it quite serious and people are preoccupied? She also suggests we're going to need to ditch our assumptions, overcome the urge to speculate based on perceptions we have about the people and the home that we're walking into. And this seems really obvious, 
However, it's a little bit more challenging to do. And the last thing we have to do as designers is we really need to encourage our clients to be a little less concerned about politeness and tell us the truth. Even if they're concerned, we're not going to take it well. Give them space to know that your shoulders are broad enough, you're enough of a professional that you can take it if they have some honest feedback. Lots of good things to talk about. Episode 173, Beyond the Story with Julia Feldmeyer. I'm so glad you're here. Let's check in with Cheryl Horn and we'll get right to the show. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Everything is great here. I am becoming familiar with new muscles because I've been working in the garden more. That is hard work. I'm so happy I am not a full-time gardener. Yeah, but at least we've had the weather for it. Yeah. That's, that's been really nice. Almost, it's been almost too hot here, which is nice, but uh, lots of outdoor time for sure. Oh yeah. We are never going to complain about that because we know what's going to come before the end of the year. So <laughs> happy days, happy days, rainbows and puppies. What's happening at Business of Design? <laughs> uh, well, last week we just did our Business of Design Interior Design Packages webinar, which was great. We had so many members join us live, um, but we also had so many requests um, from members and listeners and you know Business of Design community members who were not able to join us for the live webinar, and this um, weekend didn't necessarily work out for them to uh, participate in the recording. So we have decided to make that available. It will be a master course, just like our contracts. Um, so the recording contract, as well as the uh, worksheet that you walked everyone through in order to create their um, I, their packages for their ideal client is now available. If you missed it, you still have an opportunity to get in on that. It's two ninety five. When you uh, look in the court contract section on the website, it's available there for you. And if you've got any questions, by all means, reach out to me, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. I love the conversation with everybody and certainly have been able to fine tune my own package for Kimberly Selden Design Group uh, based on the conversation. So uh, interesting. Yeah, great. And then our next webinar uh, for the Business of Design five-phase recovery program is coming up on June 10th. Registration is open and we're entering phase three, which is positioning. And on the June 10th webinar, we will be focusing on your ideal client and future. So again, registration's open. And if you've missed any one of our past webinars as part of the five-phase recovery program, the recordings are also available to you. Uh, We are hearing from a lot of members who are really being strategic, using this time to push systems and procedures forward. And at the same time, we're all starting to see that business is coming in. You know, I've got clients from the past reaching back out and saying, hey, I need just a few little things right now. Um, So it's definitely keeping us busy. I would... I'm looking forward to the day when we get a whole house top to bottom again. That'll be awesome. (laughs) But uh, definitely I'm happy to see some past clients return and uh, restart those relationships. So hopefully that's happening for everybody out there. So the next webinar again, June 10th and registration's open for that. Awesome. All right. Get out there and enjoy some sunshine, everybody. Thank you, Cheryl. Take care. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. 
We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Julia, how are you today? Fine, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are of you? Of course, I'm well, I'm well. And uh, I know you have a, a very busy life, uh, a daughter who you just finished having breakfast with, and then another one on the way. Yes, the two under four, which is not nearly as bad as... Two under two, so. <laughs> it's still a handful. I remember those yeah. days for sure. So thank you so much for taking time to do this. I was um, so intrigued by a topic of conversation. I know that you have spoken on a few times and we have a mutual friend, Bruce Philp. Yeah, Bruce is terrific. He is. And he strongly recommended, in the most strong terms, recommended that Julia needed to be on Business of Design's podcast. I reached out and we considered a couple of topics and I think everything we centered on kind of falls under this umbrella of telling stories. Either you're telling the story because you want to present a version of yourself or your clients are telling a story because they want to present a version of themselves. Yeah. Well, I think we're in a really interesting place with storytelling. It is the sort of buzzword of, of marketing, of design, um, and there's a reason for that, right? People get really excited about stories and they're indulgent and they, you know, offer a form of escapism. Uh, but I think we're sort of entering a problematic period with storytelling, which is we really focus on the telling piece and the packaging piece. And we don't often take the time to dive into what makes a story, right? Which is really the people, the character, the plot, and how they live, um, especially in an Instagram age, right? What you see is a superficial and what's really unfolding behind the scenes is so markedly different. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you're looking at these feeds and you're thinking like this woman is in this multi-million dollar penthouse. She doesn't live there. Why, why is she there? Why is her feed full of images of her there? And how do I sift through that if she's my client? Who is she really if she's my client? Because she's not really the person who lives in a multi-million dollar penthouse, right? So there's these mixed messages I'm finding with clients sometimes when I get to see them online versus get to see them in their natural habitat, if you will. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've, the, the expectations of living this idealized lifestyle are so high. So you see that a lot of influencers feel like their, you know, sort of dark New York urban apartments aren't sufficient as a backdrop. And so they end up renting Airbnbs or these glorious penthouses to do their photo shoots, right? And what that tells to everybody else in society is, I need to have this really manicured, amazing place, which is fine. That's what we all want, but that's not how we all live, right? Interesting. I wonder if we get hired sometimes because people want that and feel like we might be a conduit to a side of that. 
As interior design professionals. I I think so. I think that's what's, what's really interesting about your business, right, is you have to strike that balance between the ambitiousness of how people want to live and what they want to project, not just to the world, but to themselves, right? The sort of aspirational piece of it, but also be, get them and, you know, as a designer, you to be truthful in terms of how people actually live. So I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, we are in the process. I just hired an interior designer to come help out with our house, which has just been a really overwhelming process. And my husband came home last Tuesday and he looked around the house and he said, oh, uh, did the cleaning people come today? And I said, no, the interior designer came today, right? And my husband asked that because our house was tidy and just looked immaculate, right? Um, Which is how it looks twice a month, every other Monday when the cleaning people come. And I obviously was just like, this woman is coming and I want her to see my house looking at its best. So I sort of shoved things in drawers and put things away when the reality is it probably would have been a much more fruitful, candid conversation if she just saw the full disarray, which is how I live every day. That is such an interesting point. I've never thought of that. I show up to a new client's home. It's tidy. It's neat. And I assume that client is neat and tidy. And what you're saying is that client may in fact be overwhelmed, have too much stuff in her life, and it has hidden a lot of stuff in drawers to make an appearance. Of course they did. Yeah. And so probably one of the best things you can say to a client is, hey, listen, for this first visit, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to just leave your house house in its, you know, dishes in a sink type of state as it would be at, you know, 12 o'clock on a given day. Okay. And I suppose the other thing I could do when I arrived is tell me how much cleaning and tidying you did in advance of me being here today. Yeah, right. That's another question you could ask, right? Sort of what is it? It's so interesting. I think I have this amazing qualifying conversation for new clients. And in the last few months, I've added so many questions to my qualifying conversation. Uh, and, I, and this is one I think that I should add. I think that makes so much sense. And it also tells you how important it is for that client to project a certain image. That tells you something about the client, right? Those clients who are super comfortable saying like, this place is a mess. Uh, it's how it is. You know, come on in, step over the Lego and you're welcome to sit if you can find a spot. Um, Mm -hmm. have a certain level of comfort around who they are, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I love the idea of of, that you're having these qualifying conversations. So I'm curious even what goes into your upfront qualifying conversations. Well, uh, for me, this is so interesting. I'm trying, we're trying to ascertain, is this client going to be a good fit for us? Are we going to be able to make this client happy? Can we satisfy her needs? Um, Is it on brand for us? Is the final project going to be something we're going to be proud to have our name on? We're looking for red flags. 
You know, uh, that client who says, well, you're the eighth designer I've had and none of them is any good, you know, that's a, that's a scary client. Um, and, and I'm sure the same token, the client is also looking for that from us. So it's, it's just a way of uncovering what's really happening here. There's so much that's cloaked in mystery when we meet the clients. Most often they don't feel comfortable telling us what their actual budget is. Um, they're comfortable telling us what the wish list is, but the wish list never matches the budget. I've never Mm -hmm. once in almost 30 years gone to a client's home and had them say, my budget is X and these are the things I want for X and those things cost X. Those things always cost three times X, right? Yeah. And I think what they're asking you to do there is to help them prioritize the narrative, right? Um, Because at the end of the day, people are like, I don't really want to have to spend, you know, I want this to just magically look and feel amazing. Um, And so even that is a story in and of itself, right? How do you frame things for people and frame costs in, in terms of yield, right? So when our interior designer came, she, I was going to have her focus primarily on one room and help with some of the finishings of another, but I obviously wanted to give her the landscape of the floor plan downstairs. So as she looked around, she stopped in the foyer and she said, you know, it could be really cool to do great wallpaper here. And I think she sort of read my face because I was like, it could be cool. It's not really what I, where I'm going right now. But she stopped. She said, think about how many times a day you go up and down the stairs, right? And, you know, at, what, at least five times a day, round trip up and down, if not more. And she said, just such a simple way to bring joy every day, right? Not only does it make a great statement when people walk in the door, but you are going to be the beneficiary of this. And I think people more and more are learning to sort of uh, amortize things, like you'll spend more on a mattress because you know that you sleep on it every night. But starting to think in those terms versus, you know, the really cool piece in your living room that you're never going to sit on, right? And only going to see when you walk in. She sounds like she's wise. She's trying to help you with your return on investment. Exactly. You know? Um, And the thing is, I always feel like that you're hiring me for my opinion. So I'm going to share my opinion, but ultimately you're in charge of the budget. And so if it doesn't fit right now, that's okay. Maybe three years from now after baby number two is walking and uh, you're kind of back on your feet again, you'll think, you know what? It's time for that wallpaper. Let's do it Exactly. She's got that thought stuck in my head now. And so now when I'm going up and down the stairs, I'm like, this, you know, this should be something really cool. Um, but I think there are a lot of questions in that upfront meeting that, that you can ask. Um, and one of the biggest flaws that I see in my work with clients, and granted, you know, my work is mostly uh, on the corporate side and, and you know, marketing and design there, but um, marketers l- love to ask consumers what they want. Right? And when you do that, you are effectively asking people to do your job for you. Right, because mm. the reason why why you know there's a whole McDonald's product marketing team, so to speak, is to to figure out what people want. Right, if it's that simple to just ask people, and so I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story. So there's a great McDonald's example where they were trying to figure out how to sell more milkshakes. So they did the obvious, right? They 
pulled in sort of the typical milkshake consumer and they sat him down and they said, hey, you know, we're trying to get to sell more milkshakes. What is it that you would want? What would make you want more milkshakes, right? To buy more milkshakes. And so they're like, do you want it to be chocolatey or do you want it to be colder? What is it? So they go through this whole thing. They make some adaptations, nothing. Sales, no change. So finally, they go out, they get a bunch of researchers to just go to a McDonald's and they watch. They stand outside the store all day and they record what they see, who buys a milkshake, what time they buy a milkshake, what they do with it, do they drink it there, do they take it to go? And what they find is that it's almost always men and the bulk of the milkshake sales, or at least 40% of them, are in the morning before 8.30 a.m. No. Yeah. I so, 100% would assume it's women with children, two o'clock, the crazy sphincter hour, we used to call it. Like, <laughs> Just drink a milkshake and leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. So they've got this huge contingent of morning milkshake drinkers. And then these men almost always take them to go. Right? They get in their car and they drive away. So the next day they go back and they some intercept these milkshake drinkers in the morning and they say, why did you buy the milkshake? And these guys say, because I have a long commute and I need something to keep me entertained on the road. And a milkshake lasts longer, right? It takes a long time to suck it up through the straw. And so it's not only, you know, satisfying, but it will last longer than say a donut, which I can shovel in my face in 30 seconds. And so now they know how to market it, right? And so that's just a really neat example of observing people versus asking them what they want. Because if we ask them what they want, they, A, maybe they don't know, B, maybe they're just giving you an answer that makes them sound a certain way, a packaged answer that makes them seem cooler than they are or hipper than they are or whatever than they are. Yeah. The reality is that people, you know, lie or mislead for all kinds of reasons, right? And they're often innocent reasons, but they just, they have a really hard time speaking candidly and truthfully about what they want or how they perceive themselves. So, you know, another example is in one study, 93% of Americans rated their driving ability as better than average, right? This is statistically impossible. Right. Right. And, you know, there's always, we we always- 43% of you are wrong. Exactly. (laughs) And there's a, a huge gap between how people say they watch television, right? How much they say they watch versus how much they actually do. They almost always underestimate how much TV they watch. I uh, Years ago, I worked at Ripley's Believe It or Not, uh, which was on ABC. And they found that people wouldn't admit to watching the show. But, you know, they had proof that people were, in fact, watching the show. People said that they watched 60 Minutes, which was on at the same time. But they weren't watching 60 Minutes. They were watching Ripley's. <laughs> oh, fascinating. Exactly. Incredible, like, right? Yeah. So they're going to sort of give you the answer that they, you know, especially in today's Instagram world, where I think it's it's um, social media can be like a lobotomy, right? There's so much thinking and ideas out there that it's done for you. Um, and so you no longer are thinking that hard for yourself about what you want. You're just thinking about what you saw. But I think presumably the real value in a, a good designer is if you can ask the right questions you're helping people understand what they want and what matters most to them. 
What I try to do with new clients when I meet them too is to find out how they want to feel when they're in their space. That seems to be more valuable to me than what do you, you know, what do you want to do here? I want to cook. Um, Yes. You know, okay. But how do you want to feel when you're cooking? Is the music on? Is there more than one of you? Do you want people to be in the kitchen when you're cooking? Do you dance while you cook? (laughs) You know, like what's happening when you're cooking kind of thing. I love that. And, you know, we started this conversation by talking about storytelling. And I think, you know, as I said, I think the telling part uh, is overrated or, you know, there's too much emphasis on that when really it's like the story feeling. What is it that a space should evoke for someone? Um, I think, uh, you know, when you think about every time you're redesigning a room, you are rewriting a story and presumably you're rewriting it to evoke a certain feeling, right? And that story doesn't start with the aesthetics. It starts with the person, their family, how they live, how they want to live, and how they want to feel. Right. So we often say we're not selling a kitchen, for example. We're selling Friday night's pizza party for the whole family, or uh, we're selling your daughter's wedding in the backyard if we're redoing the whole Mm -hmm. house. Or, you know, like we try to tie what we're doing to the real emotional pull, the real emotional reason clients are doing the renovation in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And I think another question would be, at least for, for new home buyers, the perspective I'm coming from is, why did you fall in love with this home? Right? You know, the, the whole process of owning a home is so fraught with emotion. And if you can bring people back to that place of what was it about this home or this room that first captured you and got your attention, right? And then you start to understand what it is you want to tease out of that space, right? And what changed? So is it about asking open-ended questions rather than, you know, do you like this window? Do you like this door? Is it about, I like how you worded that. What is it that attracted you to this home or this room? Exactly. Because questions like that, that are more open-ended, elicit more of the truthful story, right? A person is telling you about themselves versus you know, speculating on, on, you know, design, which again is the thing that they aren't that comfortable with or aren't that great at because that's why they've hired an interior designer in the first place. And it's somewhat, you, you mentioned this earlier, it's kind of lazy of us to ask the client to answer all the questions when that's really our job. Yeah. You can ask the questions, which is, you know, walk me through a typical day. What are the spaces you normally use? What are times of day when you're particularly frustrated? You know, what, uh, and you kind of give them the homework of, of think about it, right? So if you uh, had these grand visions of your kitchen in the Friday night pizza parties, right? Because that's the story you want to live. But the reality is you're continually frustrated by always having, you know, X, Y, Z in your counter. Then you know that somewhere... It's like you've got to have a really organized pantry as part of it, right? Or just the organizational principles are things that are going to be really helpful to this person in this experience right? versus but, just the cozy you know, seating that invites the party atmosphere. Right. It, it's such a fine line because I have had clients who realize their life is kind of clutter heavy 
and they're disorganized and they want to be organized. And I remember this one client who said, I want to have glass front cabinets because it will force me to be organized. And I'm like, oh, honey, no, it won't. It won't. It'll just force you to hate yourself every day because you're going to look in those cupboards and they're not going to be perfect. Like you really can't rewire people. Yes. Well, and this is a great point because really there are two ways you can go. You can change perceptions, right? And and with it feelings, or you can change behaviors. Hmm. Perceptions and feelings seem easier for my wheelhouse than I, behaviors. I think so. Yeah. It's, the reality is it's really hard to change consumer behaviors. Right. So it, in, in all likelihood, right, I am that person who is going to continually be overwhelmed by clutter and I'm never going to stay on top of being organized. So I just need the cavernous spaces where I can throw stuff. Right. So then you account for that style and you're like, all the junk you have is going to go over here in this built-in. Just go crazy. Mm-hmm. Fill it up. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And if you think about those, right, although they are far less grand in the scheme of, of the design work that a really good designer does, they are the small wins that allow the breathing room for the rest of the amazing things to come to life and to give people permission to enjoy everything else about their home or their space. Yeah, it's so true. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is just be aware when we first walk in to meet that new client that they may have done some rearranging and organizing and tidying up to present an image of themselves which may or may not be fully accurate. And so we have to be our best journalist self and figure out what's really going on there. Yes. Oh, wow. So good. I forgot about, I used to ask questions and I haven't, I sort of let this drop. I used to ask clients the worst day of the year for you. Is it July 31st when it's hot and sweltering or is it February 28th when it's freezing cold? And that helps so much in terms of figuring out like what the fabrics in the room are going to be like, you know, because that person who's hot all the time is never going to sit on velvet, never. Mm-hmm. So just don't offer it up. <laughs> or, or you could convince them to buy a velvet sofa and then they hate you for life because they're warm. They're too warm all the time, right? So it is, there is a fair bit of sleuth work that has to happen in order, in order for us to really satisfy that customer. Yeah, exactly. So I guess I have to be open then. Um, if I'm going to be uh, observing my client in her natural habitat, I have to be open to what I actually see versus what I think I'm going to run into when I get there. Yes, absolutely. And and the reality for all of us who are in any sort of client consumer facing space is that we make assumptions about people. This is what we do all day, every day. Uh, but you have to work really hard to overcome that urge to speculate based on your perceptions about people. So you see, you know, you know, on, you go online, you know what people paid for their home. You see the Range Rover in the front yard uh, and you start to formulate an opinion and you start to project what you think people want. Um, And that can really get in the way of who they really are. Right. And the, the experience and the design that you are really meant to bring to life for them. So uh, as best you can, distancing yourself, you know, and your own perceptions to give them room to come forward and sort of show their true colors and their true taste. 
There's actually a term for that, right? Where you just you just go, you're just looking for things that confirm the story you've already made up your in your mind. Bias. Yeah. Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Yeah. So if I go to someone's house and I'm making assumptions, they've got a Range Rover, they live in this neighborhood, I bet their kids go to private school, I bet she gets her nails done every Thursday, I'm going to look for those examples she provides me that fit that narrative and I may miss a much more important narrative that has nothing to do with any of that because I'm so focused there. Exactly. And, and this, you know, like I said, this happens all the time. This is why segments and personas are so pervasive in marketing. But, but from an interior design perspective, that's exactly the thing that you don't want to happen because somebody wants their home to be very custom. They don't want it to be the home of a person who fits the profile of, you know, you know X million dollar home and a Range Rover in the front yard. They want it to be a home that exudes their personality. Uh, and then two other things just that we can talk about or not talk about, but sure. One is, um, you know, this idea of, of people are going to fundamentally be polite. There's a dynamic, I think, with an interior designer, right, or any professional that you hire of, um, or a market researcher, for that matter, of people feeling they need to be polite. So they, that's part of why they're not going to give a truthful answer. As a journalist, do you have any special tips or tricks for getting to the truth? Um, particularly in our case, it would be the truth about how much they want to spend and perhaps even their appetite for chaos and disorder as they go through a renovation. Yeah, those are good questions. Um, I think with regard to the, the spending, you know, financial component, again, you know, you just go, you know, going in that you won't get a straight answer of what people want to spend, right? Because one, they feel that that's information they need to be protective of. Sure. Right. Um, but two, again, I think people just don't know. And so they are sort of looking for guidance on that. It, I think, again, back to this idea of, of framing, you, you might sort of get to a conversation in a more comfortable way by saying, you know, as you think about how much you want to spend, think about the latest vacation you took and what you spent on that and the value added, right? And give them a point of comparison. Because mm. if you're sort of gearing up for, you know, a 10 to 20 grand expense on a room, um, but you also spend that amount on the last two vacations you took, right? You're looking at, you know, an enjoyment factor over a much more prolonged period of time. And so those are just some ways that you can um, peg to something more um, immediately relatable. Yeah. You can anchor it to something else in their life. You know, exactly. you know, I noticed that there's a Range Rover in the driveway, which is a beautiful car. Um, it's going to last you for five, six, seven years. This room is going to last you for 15 years. Can we talk about what you're willing to invest to get yes. the same amount of enjoyment when you're at home for, you know, so many hours a week uh, versus in your car, quick commute to the office and back. That's great. And I think then also, right, you know that you have an opportunity to talk about the importance of image. So if you see somebody that has a Range Rover, there is, um, you know, part of the, the charm of a Range Rover is that it, it, it makes a statement. And so, you know, when you think about 
what's a win for you in your home is a win that, uh, you know, you want people gushing over it, right? And you envision people walking in and just being enchanted with the space. Or is a win really that you, in the quiet moments, are going to use this room and love this space? And it can be both, but understanding people's priority is really helpful. That is such a good example of the precise moment somebody would lie. Because nobody that I can think of would say, oh yeah, I want my friends to be you know, envious beyond belief. So I'm going for the wow. Like most people are so polite. They just would never say that. But I think that's uh-huh. that's there anyway, right? It's it's under the surface. You just have to figure out how to get to it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I think, and, and you could sort of say, to flip it, what evokes jealousy? You know, when are moments when you feel jealous of friends, right? Or what are those sort of emotions that other people's designs evoke from you? Yeah. I just, this is just reminding me that I need to go a little bit deeper in my qualifying conversation because sometimes I can be very, um, Ooh, what's the word? Corporate, you know, tick off all the boxes. I've answered all the questions. I'm going to leave you now and I will come back with your finish home, right? And uh, a little bit more time really getting to know my client would go a long way, I think. So thank you for that. Super helpful. We like to end every episode with something we call design intervention. It's just a great piece of business advice. It does not have to be related in any way to this topic. Well, I would keep it to this topic, and I would say that the powers of observation are unbeatable, right? And so the more that you can observe things in a natural, authentic setting, the better insights you'll yield and the better results you'll have. Pay attention. Yeah, pay attention. Be in the moment when you're at that client meeting and really observe what's happening. Try to open the drawers if you can. See if you can come up with a reason to open a kitchen drawer and see what's happening in there or a cupboard or the closet or the bathroom cabinet. That can be really revealing as well. Um, Do you miss being a full-time journalist? I do. Um, I miss, you know, I think it was just a great way to have your mind lit on fire constantly by noticing things in the world. So you know, I, I try to hold myself to at least a few pieces a year so that I don't lose sight of, of that. It's a really weird time to be a journalist. And I, I feel if I had to pick up a cause, it might be support, support your local journalist. Yes, please, please do. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's great to talk with you. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.